It's your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Hope you guys are having a good day out there as well. Really good show coming up. Uh, Marcus Fuller from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a few minutes to talk go for basketball. Big game against Ohio State tonight at Williams Arena. One the Gophers probably need to win as they kind of keep the discussion about are they an NCAA tournament team alive. 7-7 seven and seven in the Big Ten right now, but as Marcus explains, it's not just about where they finish in the Big Ten this year, how many wins they get. It's about quality wins. It's about how the Big Ten this year is not what it used to be. So there is a lot of work for them to do to get into the conversation as an NCAA tournament team. But they have they have an opportunity. They have a case to make. And winning a game tonight, winning this weekend at Nebraska, those would be two big things to help solidify their resume, get them on that path. But Marcus and I will talk more about that. We'll get into uh, some interesting uh, developments over the course of this year with their lineup, things like that, and talk about the best dunkers in high school, which Marcus just wrote about earlier this week. So check that out here in just a few minutes. Got a fun way to get into the Kirk Cousins discussion that I'll get to at the end of the show. Um, and I've got Lavelli Neal's column <clears throat> today on Gophers baseball and softball getting kicked out of U.S. Bank Stadium and some interesting wrinkles for 2025 that I did not know about. I learned from his column. Um, we'll get to that here in just a minute before Marcus Fuller. First, though, what did I miss? Um, let's start with the Twins because uh, Bobby Nightingale reported off of a radio interview that Joe Polad gave earlier this week that the Twins are not really in the market right now for any of the expensive free agents that are out there. Lavelle and I talked about you know some of these guys that are still sitting out there, Cody Bellinger, Jordan Montgomery, guys that are sitting out on the market right now that might be able to help the Twins, but that nobody's really... You know, nobody's signed yet. You know, four of the top ten free agents in baseball still out there on the market. Well, Joe Polad has heard the chatter, has heard has heard Twins fans saying, "Hey, look, your payroll is about thirty or thirty-five million dollars less right now than it was last year." In fact, I think Bobby reported it's around one twenty, hundred and twenty million right now. Last year was about one fifty-six. That's thirty-six million dollars less. Uh, why uh, why not uh, why not go out and get one of these guys you know Blake Snell Matt Chapman one of these guys and Joe Polak goes on WCCO radio early this week and says the reason I say no so he's saying no we're not interested in any of those guys right now the the reason I say no is just because we're going to live pretty much where we're at right now what I will say is uh, what I will say about some flexibility is when Derek Falvey and his team think there's the right opportunity in front of us we don't live hard and fast by a specific number that said we're not going to go out and spend 30 million dollars on a player right now the players that are out there right now that probably a bunch of fans are talking about we are not in the market for those players, but there are definitely other players that can have a positive impact on our team that Derek, I'm sure, is looking at. So, erase this idea from your memory. The Twins are not going to go out and get one of these expensive stars. My question is, why? Maybe why aren't, why aren't they taking another look at this? Because you look at what happened last season. I would understand this mindset 100% if I didn't think this Twins team, what they're building, had the chance to be something special, right? Like, they won a playoff series last year. They, they were a division winner. They have some young, exciting talent. They might be a player or two away from being a, like, legitimate playoff contender. So this feels like a time 
where I feel like they could make a move that would have a serious impact on their ability to not just win the AL Central again, but could impact their ability to compete in the playoffs. So why why rule this out? Why say no to this right off the bat? Why would you put yourself in that spot? I guess is what I'm saying. Why would you just come out and say, no, we're not interested in these guys? Why, be, be open to that opportunity. Be open to excellence. I get that payroll was kind of high last year. I get that the TV stuff is affecting things. The TV stuff is not affecting things to the tune of $36 million, though. They made eight, They made almost $55 million from local TV last year from their deal with Diamond Sports. I guarantee you the gap this year is not $36 million. My guess is that it's probably closer to $10, $15 million. But we don't know that. We don't know the number because they won't tell us the number. They don't want us to know the number that they are making off of TV right now this year. And that is a problem to me, too. So... There's going to be some future implications of the TV deal. They probably don't want to get locked into a long-term deal with another expensive player. They've already got Carlos Correa on the payroll, making almost, you know, making thirty million, more than thirty million dollars, taking up about a quarter of the payroll right now. They've got Byron Buxton making big money, Pablo Lopez. They've got some big money players on the roster right now. So I get, yeah, maybe one of these guys doesn't necessarily fit. But why rule that out? Why say we're not trying to put the best team out there that we can? Why why limit yourself at this point in the game? I don't get that. Now the the fan reaction is is pretty typical, you know, calling the polls cheap. Some of them saying, "Hey, I don't like it, but I do appreciate the honesty." And I do like I, I think Joe Polad's words were good. I, I I appreciate him saying it to a certain degree. If if this is how he feels, I'm glad that he said it with such clarity. I just don't necessarily I don't necessarily agree with the message. I'm not saying I don't like what I don't like the way he said it. I'm just saying I don't love the message right now that he's trying to send because this is a team like I said that could be on the verge of something really good. Now, all of this can kind of be washed away if they make a couple of decent moves before the start of the season and evaluate where things are at May, June trade deadline into July, where they're getting, what What does this team look like? What are they missing? Are they a starting pitcher away? Then you can go out and get someone, pay them for a couple months, not six months, that might make a little bit more sense on this payroll that you're trying to you know, bring down from last year's $156 million. So I will be more on board with this if I see evidence of additions as the rest of this spring and specifically the trade deadline. Um, if they make more moves at that point, then I can say, okay, you know what, I, I see the plan. I see where they were going with this. You didn't necessarily need to add someone in February that was a big ticket guy because you could get to the point you needed to get to reevaluate and then kind of make your signature move. I get that. But if there's nothing else coming, if you're just kind of like treading water and thinking you're going to be just as good or better this year than last year, minus Sonny Gray, minus Kenta Maeda, minus Jorge Polanco. I know some of these younger guys should take another step forward. I know you like the potential of a Byron Buxton bounce back, a Carlos Correa bounce back, Royce Lewis being healthy all year. Those are all good things you have going for you. I'm just saying this team is on the verge. It feels like they're on the verge of being good. You don't want to hamstring yourself with a long-term contract. I get that. But don't close yourself off from excellence just to maintain being good for a long time. Speaking of being annoyed, good Lavelle E. Neal column today in uh, the Star Tribune, StarTribune.com about gopher baseball and softball as well as like small college area softball and baseball. We already knew that U.S. Bank Stadium was not available for baseball and softball this spring because they're replacing the turf. I get that. We know that. It's forcing the gopher baseball team and softball team on the road for much of February, March. They're not going to be able to open at home till early April. Um, I mean, this year they probably could play earlier, but you never know that when you're making the schedule. So 
that that's much, that much we knew. That's unfortunate. If it happens once every blue moon, that's okay. Lavelle's column was interesting because he's talking to John Anderson and some of these other folks. John Anderson, the retiring gopher baseball coach, they are worried that this is going to become more of the norm, not that they're going to replace the turf every year, but Lavelle writes there are rumblings that the typical six-week window that U.S. Bank Stadium is open for baseball and softball, which I imagine is typically like you know mid-February to late March before teams can get outside, but after the football season is over, he said there are rumblings that the typical six-week window could be cut down by two-thirds in 2025 so that the U.S. Bank Stadium can host a bigger event, um, writing about how... ASM Global, which manages things, and the Sports Commission, they're looking for the Facilities Authority, looking for bigger revenue things, looking for things that could fill the building in those kind of late winter months that uh, that would be more lucrative than baseball and softball. And that'd be a shame. I don't I don't like this idea at all. Like I, I get that you're trying to make money off this, but this is this was dubbed the People's Stadium. We always come back to that. Mark Dayton had this vision. This was the People's Stadium. This should be used. There was a clause. You know, there's there's there was talk of this this should you know outfitted for baseball and softball, able to play in there. Just like the dome was back in the day, like when you tore the dome down, you should be able to have this place in the winter. Can't play baseball and softball in the winter here in January, February, and March. You should be able to configure it for this during this time. If that goes away, that feels like a slap in the face to baseball and softball. I thought Lavelle's column was really good. He really kind of laid out the issue and, and responds with, uh, you know, the future better include baseball and softball people in the People Stadium. I, I agree 100%. I'll be watching this. I think everybody else should, too, that this should be used for what it was intended to be used for and not just to make more money during that short window of time. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's talk go for basketball today with Marcus Fuller from the Star Tribune. A lot of interest in this team all of a sudden, Marcus. Seven and seven in the Big Ten. Um, an opportunity to at least get in the conversation for the NCAA tournament, depending on how these next six regular season games and the Big Ten tournament go. I want to get into that with you, as well as obviously the the upcoming game Thursday against Ohio State, and maybe a little bit about the young dunkers thing you wrote uh, in your basketball across Minnesota column. But first off, how you doing? Pretty good, yeah. I'm just the first time we've done this podcast in the Williams Arena media room, so I like that. Uh, right on the job, as opposed to being at home, even though I do work from home a lot. Right. Uh, yeah. So I. I appreciate again, as uh, as always, being on the podcast. Uh, Gopher Hoops seems like it's a hot ticket right now. Um, maybe not as hot as the Timberwolves, but, you know, they're trying. Maybe not as hot as uh, Clayton Clark when she comes to town, but uh, yes. Ben Johnson and his program, uh, they are interesting. Um, you talked about the NSA tournament. Uh, you know, obviously this is at the point of the season, um, in, you know, it's getting to be late February here where, you know, if you are, um, you know, in moving in the right direction with your team, uh, you do want to move in the direction of, you know, getting those NSA tournament quality wins. Um, they don't necessarily have a lot of those on their schedule. Uh, you know, you can talk about quad one this and quad two that. 
Um, you know, the fact of the matter is they only have one real signature win, and that's versus Michigan State at home. And then you have Iowa, who's in the mix for an NCAA tournament, just like the Gophers are, maybe a little ahead of them. And then they beat Michigan State on the road. So, you know, if you're throwing these names into a hat, these teams into a hat, and you don't know who's who, Iowa and Minnesota in the same hat, and they have beaten Michigan State on the road and you beat them at home, who are you going to pick? You know, and those are their two best wins right now, each team. So I think, you know, if you look at what the Gophers have yet on their schedule, um, you know, I don't necessarily want to look past Ohio State, who they have Thursday, but if you do, you're looking at Nebraska this weekend. You're looking at Illinois, Northwestern, all those road games. Those are all opportunities for them to pick up more signature wins. And and each one of those wins would be greater than the one they had at Michigan State at home. But that was a, that was definitely a step in the right direction because it, it gave confidence to this team that they can be a team that right now is an NCAA tournament team. Is there a magic number you feel like they need to get to in terms of wins? Does it matter? The quality obviously matters. You're right. They've got those three quad one games on the road still left. Um, you got to take care of business in the games you're supposed to win. And I would say this Ohio State game, even though the Buckeyes just changed coaches, they had a major upset against Purdue right after that. This is still a game they sh- the Gophers should win or need to win at least to, to keep that conversation and momentum going. But is it... You know what? You know you get six regular season games left. You'd like to think you you'd need to do some things in the Big Ten tournament as well. Is there what what's the what's the path like? What's the, what's the least they can do? You think that that gets them? You know, if not for sure, in kind of onto that bubble t- bubble talk. Yeah, I'm not a bracketologist, but no, you know, I've been doing it long enough where probably could fill up my own bracket. <laughs> but you know, this is a down year in the Big Ten. I mean, there's no way around it. They can't help that. You know, I mean, and this is this is a year where they have the worst non-conference schedule out of any Big Ten team. And, you know, according to Ken Palm in the country. So that's going to knock against them. There's no going back. You can't change your non-conference schedule and go, hey, let's, let's schedule uh, Kentucky or something. You know, that, that just won't happen. Uh, if, even if they would have scheduled St. Thomas, it probably would have helped their non-conference schedule better. <laughs> but um, if you look at what they have moving forward, um, really it's not about – some people say, hey, you know, what, what if they finish fourth place in the Big Ten? You know, that'll help you with seeding in the Big Ten tournament. You get a double bye, and then you get to play your first game against a really good opponent that'll be a quad one win. So that's what place matters. Placing doesn't – they don't care about that. The, the, the NSA selection committee does not care about where you finish place-wise in the Big Ten. They don't necessarily care about even your number of overall wins. People say, oh, you get the 20 wins – You'll make it. No, that, that doesn't matter anymore. It matters completely about the quality of your wins and how bad your losses are. So, and then obviously, you know, the way you're playing at the end of the season matters, you know, even if nece- not necessarily have a lot of great opponents at the end of the year, if you have momentum, uh, they'll recognize that. So I think that all they got to do is just keep stacking wins. Like you said, uh, you got to win the ones that you're supposed to win at home. They play Ohio state. Um, they obviously they, uh, Penn State and Indiana, those all those three games against are against non NCAA tournament teams right now. Uh, definitely, Indiana and, and Penn State are not in that mix. Um, but I would say that you know Ohio State's a team that you lost to on the road. You know you want to get them back at home, and they're playing well. I mean, they just beat Purdue. So, I test wise, Ohio State definitely would help them. 
you have two wins in a row, and then you win at Nebraska. That's another three-game win streak, which they had another one earlier this month. And that gives them some momentum, you know, to the NCAA tournament committee that say this team is playing their best basketball right now. You know, this is not a computer that's going to pick the NCAA tournament. It's a, it's the committee, and they're human. They see a team that's hot. They see a team that has a freshman that uh, might be Big Ten freshman of the year, a really good uh, all-Big Ten type of player in Dawson Garcia, a really good point guard that leads the nation assists. And then they're going into the Big Ten tournament at home in Minneapolis where, again, if you have a higher seed, you're going to end up with a couple wins being able to play in the semifinals or uh, the championship game. And if you have that momentum at the end of the year, you have a few quality wins. Yes, you have a poor non-conference schedule, but I don't – I mean, if I'm on the committee – and I see this team has momentum. I see them playing well at the end of the Big Ten season and then playing well at home in Minneapolis at the tournament. I'm saying this looks like an NCAA tournament team. So that would help them. Computers won't tell all of it, obviously, like you said. it's There's there's eye test. There's kind of how you're playing at the end of the year. That said, the net rating could, does does factor into things or at least gives us a good idea. Their net rating is kind of in the mid-70s right now, which is an improvement over where it's been keeps getting better the further they get from that non-conference season. Is there like a, a place where they kind of want to get to or need to get to where teams feel safer, even if we know this isn't the only criteria that's going to be used? Yeah, I mean, don't quote me on this, but I, I believe that the highest team to make the NSA tournament as far as net was around uh, the mid-70s. So kind of right think, where they are right now. Yes, I mean, but that team... Um, had I believe five quad one wins, okay. you know, something like that. So, you know, they had a lot of opportunities to to win, and they did, you know. And so I think that got them in. It's just the amount of, you know, quality victories, um, and they were playing well at the end of the year. So, you know, again, there's nothing they can do about the non conference schedule. That's what's dragging their net rating down. There's nothing they can do about the Big Ten being down this year, where you have a lot of teams with high net ratings. I mean. You know, Indiana, not a very good team this year. You know, um, Penn State, uh, Northwestern is is better, but, um, you know, obviously Northwestern is not a ranked team. Um, you know, per- Purdue is number two in the country, and they're they're really just carrying the Big Ten right now. Illinois is, is a decent team, but Wisconsin, you know, at one point they were a top 10 team, even when they played the Gophers at home. Now they're not even ranked, you know, and so a lot of these teams, again, they – um, they would have been better a year ago in that rating. And now you have a lot of teams that are just dragging the net rating down, even by playing them. And then, and then especially if you lose to an Ohio state to an Indiana or Penn state, that would take you completely out of the mix. In my opinion, realistically, unless you make a run in the big 10 tournament. Our colleague, Patrick Royce was of the opinion that aside from the kind of two or three minute stretch where they let Rutgers kind of scare them the other day. That was, that was one of the better, if not the best Gophers uh, performance he's seen this year. Did you agree? Do you agree with that? How good were they? And, and why do you think Why do you think they looked so good in that game? If indeed that's your opinion. I don't necessarily agree with that. I saw them play better at Iowa um, when they were up 20 at Iowa and it was Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, I was like ready to pop the champagne and get ready for the Super Bowl party, <laughs> you know, like it just, it seemed like this was going to be the, the win that um, really turned them the corner uh, toward making the NCAA tournament. Cause that would have been a, a for sure quad one win um, and their best win by far yet. Um, you know, you look what Iowa did at Michigan state, 
So then again, you know, if you would have beaten Iowa at home um, at, at Iowa and then Iowa goes and beats Michigan State on the road, it would even help you even more. So there was a stretch there versus Iowa where Garcia, I mean, Dawson Garcia was amazing. You know, he had 18 points in the first half. They had shot 11 for 15 from three to start that game. I mean, it was unbelievable. And this was an Iowa team that, um, you know, one of the highest scoring teams in the Big Ten, and they held them to 38 points at halftime. So they're not only doing it on offense, but they're doing it on defense. And then all of a sudden, Garcia gets hurt, and then the rest is history. Um, there was a stretch versus Purdue as well, where they're shooting the lights out of the ball, nine threes in the first half, um, you know, and, and they, they held Zach Eady in check, who, you know, again, is the best player in the country. So those two stretches, in my opinion, were the best that they had played this year. I think this was the best I've seen them play defensively in a half. Um, Rutgers is not a juggernaut scoring, but, you know, they did do the damage um, versus Gophers in the first half. Cliff O'Marore was getting anything he wanted. They've got guards that can, um, you know, they can score at the rim. And so, you know, they were shooting the ball very well in the first half, Rutgers was, and then they shot 25%. I mean, they, they literally just cut their field goal percentage in half in the second half. And that was even with them making that run, right? They were down 17, Rutgers was, and they came and, and cut it within six. Can you imagine what the field goal percentage for Rutgers would have been if they just completely tanked and lost by 20? I mean, that would have been even more impressive defensive half for the Gophers. Now, you wrote about their defense and just in the context of where they are right now. Like, what, what, do, you, what do you see? Is that in terms of strengths, weaknesses, things they've improved on as the season has gone along? Well, again, this is a team that we're talking about this 500 in the Big Ten. So, you know, it's not one-sided one way or the other. You know, they're not, oh, this team is the best defensive team in the Big Ten or they're not the worst. I mean, they've really had a tale of two halves like the whole season. I mean, you look at Purdue, you look at Iowa, both those games, they really held two of the best offenses in check, including the best player in the country. And then all of a sudden it just goes haywire. Um, you know, Rutgers, it's a tale of two halves. Second half looked great on defense. First half, not so much. I think the 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 theme I, I sense is that, you know, their guards, I mean, that when they play teams with bigger guards, a little tougher for Elijah Hawkins, Mike Mitchell Jr. to kind of handle some of those guys physically, and they need a little bit of help. Um, Braden Carrington comes in there, and he's a defensive stopper. If he stays out of foul trouble, he can really shut down an opponent's best perimeter player. And that's what he did versus Rutgers. Jeremiah Williams had done a really good job in the Rutgers four-game win streak of scoring the ball, but he was held in check. And then you look at a big guy like Cliff Omori. He had everything he wanted in the first half, and then Pharrell Payne you know, really was physical with him, and Dawson Garcia was physical with him, and they shut him down in the second half. So I, I think this it's a team effort. You know, there's not one guy. I mean, Carrington's their best defender, but it can't always be on his shoulders. You know, talking to Ben Johnson going into um, Ohio State, they really have to do a good job of handling Jamison Battle, you know, former gopher that really just light him up, lit him up in the second half um, in Columbus in the, in their loss. He had 25 points, and Bruce Bruce Thornton, uh, Buckeyes guard, um, got to the paint anytime he wanted um, off the dribble. Um, so it's a challenge, I think, even more than the Rutgers game defensively for the Gophers especially the way that uh, Ohio State played versus Purdue. And I think, you know, if they can continue to gain momentum on that side of the ball, that will translate to any game, whether it's home or away, whether they're 
they go through these long scoring droughts or not, you know, they can still compete and possibly pull off a win that they need. Promise I'm not trying to stir up any trouble or drama, but I can't help but notice, Marcus. Don't ask me. Don't ask me. I know what you're going to ask me. <laughs> Joshua Ola Joseph, he's not playing as much as he as he was. These, these are just facts. I don't I don't know if you know. I'm not the coach. I'm not the coach. Why I are you asking I, me? I'm, I've, I've loved, <laughs> I mean, I'll ask Ben if, if I, next time I see him. But so he played, he, you know, he was starting a lot of games, playing, you know, minutes in the you know low 20s to mid 20s for most of the year. Then plays five minutes in their loss to the to the Badgers. Um, was at the about a month ago. Plays twenty six against Penn State because I think Farrell Payne was out that game. Hasn't played double digit minutes in the five games since nine six six five five. Yeah, and I know where you're going. I know where you're going with this. So let me but, just say this. Let me just say this, okay? Yeah. Joshua Joseph is a very very talented player. Yeah. You know, going into the season. You know, he started 20-something games as a freshman, and then he started a bunch of games this year as a sophomore. I think there was a stretch there where he started 42 straight games, okay? So Ben Johnson and and his staff believe in Joshua Joseph. It's not about, you know, all of a sudden, like, they don't believe in him and they can help this team. It's about trying to find the right chemistry between players, okay? So, okay, and, and, the, and the emergence of Pharrell Payne. You know, there's a long time, I think even one on one of these podcasts where we're talking about why isn't Ben Johnson starting for LP? Well, he is now, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, this is a, a even more formidable team in the front court. You know, when they're facing some of these bigger, stronger opponents, you know, Iowa was a big, strong, you know, team inside uh, Purdue, you know, Rutgers, uh, very physical, um, you know, and so it's it's about matchups, you know. I think that Joshua Joseph is going to help them at some point. It, you know, if they're going to make a run at the end of the year here, he's going to help them at some point. I think, you know, he did help them in a couple spots in Rutgers and in the previous game, you know, it, it's here and there now. It's not like 30 minutes a game or 25, you know, whatever it's starting. So I think he's bought into it. You know, he he and uh, Isaiah Enan, um, they're in a position where, you know, for the most part, because they play a three-guard starting lineup, they're going with – um, you know, more more ball handlers than they are, you know, uh, long, athletic uh, type of guys like Josh and uh, Isaiah at the three. So that puts them out of the plane at the three in the small forward position. They're competing with Pharrell and Dawson for minutes, and that's just not going to happen. I mean, they're going to go with Pharrell and Dawson as long as they can, and then when they've played some of these bigger physical teams, they've thrown in Jack Wilson and Parker Fox to try to battle with these guys defensively and it's even tougher for them, obviously. So I think it's just a matter of matchups. Um, Ohio state's a little bit more athletic and, and uh, you might see, you know, old Joseph get in there. Um, They're not as tall, but they're athletic. Um, You know, I think you might see him get in there, but you know, again, I've done, I'm doing a story on defense, you know, I, I think it's at any level, high school, youth basketball, college, if you want to play, you know, go in there and play some defense. <laughs> Show them you can play some defense, and then you'll probably see more playing time. But I don't think it's just the Joshua Joseph thing. Isaiah Enan, you know, uh, Parker Fox at times um, earlier in the year wasn't playing much, and all of a sudden he was a huge spark in games. And, you know, I ended up writing about him a couple of weeks ago going into Iowa. So it's just a matter of time. The, the most important thing is we're talking about a starter – for a majority of the last two years, not getting that many that many minutes now, all of a sudden, that what does that mean? That means you have depth. 
right? I mean, there's no way that, that this would happen a couple years ago or even last year. So that just means they have depth. And, you know, at, at times they're going to need to tap into that depth. I think that's fair. I mean, and you're right. They were desperate to field any kind of lineup these last two years and to have the luxury of a guy's not hurt. He can still play, but they just see better options right now. You're right. That is the sign of the evolution of the program. It just was interesting to see the minutes cut so much, but you know, you're right. Payne's playing more. The minutes got to come from somewhere. The (laughs) minutes got to come from somewhere, right? If they're weren't winning, then all of a sudden you'd see different matchups or different lineups, different lineups in there. Royal Credit Union smart checking accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance. Enjoy financial freedom when you open your Royal Credit Union smart checking account online at rcu.org slash go checking. Insured by NCUA. That is true. Well, let's shift gears really quick. You wrote about um, the best high school dunkers, best young dunkers in Minnesota. That was that was a lot of fun in your basketball across Minnesota feature. Um, kind of what sparked that idea? How much how much fun did you have doing that one? Yeah, you know, uh, unfortunately, I didn't get much out of the NBA slam dunk contest, you know. So I started to go on YouTube and say, hey, you know, what what, what can we hear? What can we find here in Minnesota that's better than that? <laughs> and you know, we don't have Zach Levine anymore. Uh, we don't have Rodney Williams in years past, but you know, Parker Fox is definitely a top dunker. But that's at the college level. What about younger? You know, and so I did find um, there's plenty of clips on Daniel Freetag. You know, he's a Minnesota Mr. Basketball candidate. Breck's doing a great job this year, uh, you know, pushing toward a state championship. And and I think, you know, he's an exciting player. I know, you know, he's a Badger and all the Gopher fans will be like, ah, why are you writing about this guy? But he's definitely one of the better high school players in the state. And then he's an amazing dunker. Um, and, and, you know, I wanted to know, does he have a rival? You know, there's plenty of guys that he mentioned, but he, he talked about a, a Vinny Cronin from Edina who's a freshman. And I was like, Really? A rival for you dunking is a freshman. Interesting. And they actually, you know, battled in a dunk contest in St. Cloud in the summer. Vinny said he got the best of them. Free tag ended up winning the contest. But he said, hey, Vinny's dunks were cooler than mine, you know. So I just thought that was kind of neat since we weren't that thrilled about the NBA dunk contest that these two guys actually faced off and and actually put on a show. And, you know, again, when we see another dunk contest in the NBA that rivals, you know, Levine versus Aaron Gordon, probably not. But, you know, I think, you know, these young dunkers keep, you know, getting older. And at at some point, you know, we'll see the next uh, great dunker in the NBA. And um, it might not be uh, it might not be a a Zach Levine type from Minnesota, but uh, they're coming. Um, They're coming. I mean, they're and they're coming younger and younger. I tell you, I tell you that. I can't even imagine being able to dunk at any point in my life, let alone as a freshman in high school. But that's that's pretty cool. And the dunk contest. the dunk you know, contest, you had by fun the way. On the Nerf hoops, Mike. You had that? fun on the Nerf. You had fun on the Nerf hoops. The Nerf hoops. I, I yeah. take my kids to the trampoline park and I dunk on the trampoline hoops. Those are fun. But my beef with the NBA dunk contest too is like the guy who won it is barely an NBA player. He's been in like four NBA games. Mac McClung. Exactly. Like what? Like he's a good exactly. dunker, but it's it's just you know it's it's what it is what it is. It's fine. But yep, I'm I'm glad you guys. I'm glad you shined a spotlight on some of these guys locally who are getting it done. For sure. No, it's fun and. uh one of these days, you and I will, will will go on the door frame hoop, and then we'll battle it out. We'll see what happens. Seven foot, eight foot, something like that. We'll yeah, be we'll yeah. be all about that. All right, Marcus. Well, appreciate it. Follow Marcus's coverage from the Ohio State game Thursday night. He'll be in Nebraska as well over the weekend. Appreciate it, Marcus. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks a lot. 
good stuff for Marcus. You know, we get obsessed about net rating, bracketology, bubble, who's in, who's out. Gophers aren't on any sort of bubble yet. They're way on the outside looking in, but they will. those things will take care of themselves if they keep winning. The net rating will keep improving. They will start to show up on some of these bubble watches if they keep winning. The key to that is to win tonight against Ohio State. And if they can get a win at Nebraska this weekend, that will be a big resume builder. So we'll see where the rest of this season goes. The big picture is that, hey, we're talking about this as a potential NCAA tournament team where at the start of the year we were just wondering if they could win some games. They were picked last in the league again. They have exceeded that expectation, at least externally. I think their internal expectations were a little higher than external, but they have exceeded expectations to this point, and they can take them even higher with a good finish to this season. Let us finish with the cooler. Speaking of a good finish, talking about Kirk Cousins, there's lots of stuff out there. I think we're going to learn more pretty soon when the scouting combine happens in Indianapolis next week. That's usually where rumors and rumblings start to sort themselves out. The combine goes you know, until March 4th, and then <clears throat> really after that, there's barely a week until the new league year. And like we've talked about, the Vikings are going to have to make a decision on Cousins before the league year starts. Otherwise, all of that dead money um, from his uh, from his contract hits the books this year. $28 million, something like that. So this will be resolved soon. I think the Combine will be a place where we start to get more information on that. Until then, though, we have plenty of rumor, innuendo, and fun. One thing that caught my eye uh, recently, the Ringer does this every year, kind of their quarterback commitment index. They ended with the Vikings and Kirk Cousins. Uh, they, they, they identify their relationship as you don't want to be out here. Said the Vikings are a younger team that spent the past few years with an older man. But since Kirk Cousins RIP'd in October, well, he tore his Achilles, but in his mid-30s, it's probably the same thing. Minnesota can start looking for a younger man who fits its timeline. With an offensive core that includes receivers Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison and a great offensive line, Minnesota's biological clock is ticking. How many generational Packers quarterbacks do Vikings fans have to see until they can upgrade from Cousins? Amen. Just a different way of saying what I'm thinking right now. It's time. It's time to move on. You can like Kirk Cousins. You can appreciate how good he's been. It is time to cut the cord. It is time to move on. It is time to get your quarterback of the future. Take your medicine this year. Take the dead money this year. Be okay this year. Be okay with it this year and start building for 2025 and beyond. Give yourself a chance to be a true Super Bowl contender into the future and not just a team that might win 8, 9, 10 games into perpetuity. That's what I say. That's what a lot of people are thinking right now. We'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. That will do it for me today. Should be a good show coming up tomorrow. Expecting to talk plenty of Wolves with Chris Hine from the Star Tribune as the Wolves resume play after the break. Big game tomorrow night at Target Center against the Bucks. Until then, I am Michael Rand. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.